Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Why Do You Think You've Got No Friends? My name is Emily Lang. I'm an actress, writer, singer, codependent and ever recovering addict. And this is the All Open podcast where I and others discuss the moments little to large when we really felt, however briefly and in whatever capacity like we had. Friends. My guest today is activist and mental health advocate Maxine Williams. I am hesitant to speak too much before diving into this episode, as I think it probably speaks for itself. Prior warning, our conversation today is very much focused on suicide and what it feels like to get to the place when it feels like the only option. So please continue listening at your own discretion. But both Maxine and I have been there in that terrifying place. And this is what we're discussing today. So here we are. It is the 22nd of October, 2019. And we are in Essex. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. And in this moment, Maxine, why do you think you've got no friends? Um, Because I'm really suicidal. (laughs) Sorry, it's not funny, but like I, I know exactly that feeling. Yeah. And what, if you're comfortable talking about it, what happened uh, on that day? So I had a really bad suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. I always call it like my suicide attempt, even though I've had many others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like the big one. Um, right. I ended up going into hospital. Okay. And I just remember waking up that day. Um. I literally felt nothing but everything at the same time. Yeah. Um, And it was something that I hadn't experienced before. Like I'd experienced being suicidal Mm -hmm. and suicidal ideation was like, I would say for a long time has been such a, like a common feeling. Like it's, it's, it's almost to some extent comforting. You'd like, you're so used to it. Yeah. I remember waking up this day and I was like, I feel so different and I feel like, you know like this is it mm-hmm. um and I was in sick form mm-hmm. I was in year 12 I think so been in year 12 for a month and it was a couple of weeks after my 17th birthday mm-hmm. and I remember getting on the bus and say, telling my boyfriend at the time I was like I don't I don't feel very well but mentally I, and when you said when you don't feel very well did you mean like physically or mentally mentally or yeah like, okay. I think I think both. I just was so drained and so um, so tired. Yeah. And I didn't understand why. I felt very tired and I felt very alone. Uh, and I kind of was thinking, this is it. Like, yeah. And I tried to convey that to him, but I, because I think he was so used to me saying that and experience, like, experiencing me saying that a lot of the time, Yeah. I think he kind of thought, it's fine, like, what can we do to make, you know, take your mind off it? Yeah. And I remember having a whole day at school and 
then going into school and telling some of my friends in school, I was like, I really don't feel well. Yeah. Um, I feel really tired and I want everything to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one of my, actually not friends anymore, like recently stopped being friends, but right. um, she was like one of my best friends at the time and she just got so overwhelmed and she was like, I can't deal with this. Like, yeah. Like, this is too much. What am I meant to do? I and have just, that experience yeah. when you tell a friend and it's and and I and I do understand the reaction of someone going this is too much but when then I do it as a codependent I then feel so guilty for mm-hmm. having laid anything on them and they sort of make it about them <laughs> oh my gosh Nikki we just kind of have to accept he's here <laughs> yeah that that feeling when someone goes I'm, I'm so overwhelmed by this I can't do it and then they're really upset mm-hmm. and then you sort of feel responsible for their feelings mm-hmm. even in this moment of being so emotionally drained yeah. yourself um that feeling of feeling everything but feeling nothing I really really relate to that Mm -hmm. and uh that's a very familiar thing I've spoken about it before when when I got to the same point it was like I'd left my body a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah it was so it was like otherworldly yeah it was very surreal yeah um kind of like going through you know your day-to-day and it just you see everything everything feels like it's right in front of your face mm, mm. but also you're mentally so disconnected yeah um I think that in itself is so intense yeah and navigating that and feeling so out of it but also so aware of your surroundings yeah yeah it's a really weird like mm-hmm. juxtaposition um it's so intense mm-hmm. it's so intense and it do you remember I mean it seems like you you remember that day quite clearly mm. yeah to some extent yeah. I remember like bits of it like the main bits um and were you sorry about these these questions if there's anything you're not comfortable with you absolutely don't mm-hmm. answer but were you um in the you went to school that day were you planning or did you just know that it was going to happen like were you going okay this is when I'm going to do it this is what's going to happen um or was it just an awareness of of it happening at some point in that day I think it was just an awareness I didn't yeah. really plan I it wasn't a meticulous of, yeah. sort of I just knew yeah. that I, 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 I had to die and I just yeah. was going through the day and whatever point would, was convenient. That's me. exactly how I felt. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't like a like a meticulously set out mm-hmm. timetable of okay and at this point mm-hmm. I shall do this. It was just like this is going to happen mm-hmm. and I and that's and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um so you got home from school mm-hmm. and that's when and that's when it happened. Well, I actually so where my school was, mm. um, I mean, it's still there. I'm just not there anymore. <laughs> where that school was <laughs> before it was demolished and turned into um, a cat cafe. It was like 30, like a 30 minute drive. So I live in Brentwood. My family home where I've grown up is in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. And where I used to go to school is like South End on Sea, like West Cliff area. Mm-hmm. So it's like a 30 to 45 minute drive. Mm. And the school bus was an hour. So I'd have an hour on the bus after school. And I remember, I don't even know what happened, but I remember my boyfriend was like, I'll see you later. Or like, you know, we'll talk later. Or, you know, if you want me to. And I was just yeah. like, okay, that's fine. So I got to the gym, I think it was probably around six o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I just remember doing, I think I was like, I don't even remember what exercise. I, do, I was definitely doing arms. I just remember that. Mm. And then I just was so overwhelmed. I was like, I literally can't do this. Like, yeah. this is not making, because I was so out of my body. Yeah. And physical exercise wasn't doing anything. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't, it didn't hurt. I didn't feel any pain. There wasn't any sort of release of endorphins, anything. It was just. Yeah this isn't this isn't working did you find um because I sort of found this that things I knew so well things that were really familiar suddenly mm-hmm. just sort of felt like like unlike strange and yeah. sort of distant yeah like I remember feeling like because we're recording in my in my house right now and this is the site of uh, where it happened for me that I felt like I my home wasn't familiar this mm-hmm. wasn't my home mm-hmm. this was you just it's like living it is like living you're just like existing place. existing yeah. exactly yeah. And it must be a sort of a, a disconnect that your mind does when you know that you've gone to that place. Mm-hmm. Maybe a sort of a, a self-preservation. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm weirdly, this sounds very strange, I'm weirdly impressed that you went to the gym. I know. Like, <laughs> I I couldn't get off the floor. I know, it, it was, but I think it's just because I was so out of my body. Yeah. But I was just like, can I do something to bring myself back to the present? Yeah, but yeah. also I just, 
I don't know, it's so silly, but like 17-year-old me, mm. like newly 17, so I was like basically a 16-year-old, mm. just thinking like, if I'm going to die today, what should I make my last day like? I yeah. think I'll fit in a bit of exercise. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's just like, the way that my brain was thinking. Yeah. So I remember like, yeah, I was in the gym, I didn't feel anything, I was getting, I got really overwhelmed. Yeah. And I just remember going to the, it's really weird because I don't remember at what point I either got the medication mm. or but I knew I'd obviously bought it mm. and because at this point because I'd been so unwell for so many years mm. all medication at home was locked away from me really and yeah like okay. like for a very long time it's only I'd say until I, I've gone to uni yeah um that that obviously doesn't happen at home like I kind of I've got to a point where I'm very vocal with how I'm feeling that it is kind of, I think like with age sometimes as well, it is your responsibility to communicate that. 100%. So at home, there wasn't anything really that I could use to endanger myself. Yeah. But being the age that I was, I had the freedom of like going into a shop and buying paracetamol. Like no one was going to tell yeah. me that I couldn't. Yeah. Um. So I remember just going into the changing rooms and just getting them out of my bag and I just started taking them. Wow. And I don't know how many packs I went through. I had ibuprofen on me as well. Yeah. And I just was taking them. And then I remember calling up my boyfriend and being like, I don't feel good. I don't know. I actually don't remember what I said. Yeah. All I remember is that it caused him and his mum to come to the gym, pick me up. Wow. And instead of like going home, we went on this drive and then we ended up parking on a road that was next to mine. Yeah. Um, and staying there and talking. And I just remember the whole time I was out of it. Like I can't really remember the conversation. I just yeah. remember it being dark. Because obviously by by this point it was quite like it gets dark in the evenings, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I just remember being in the car, like lying either on, on my ex-boyfriend's lap and like mm-hmm. or like on the on on the seats, like lying down. I just remember looking up and I was like, I don't feel good at all. Yeah. Because obviously yeah. the like physical aspect of it had kicked in. Mm. Um, and then we ended up going home and she ended up dropping me home. And I think kind of what you're saying is that like that feeling of of guilt that you have and like yeah. protection of other people around you. Yeah. Like looking back now, I had this huge sense of guilt, but because my dad was like a you know a single parent with like three young kids mm. and my ex-boyfriend's mum was like you need to take her to hospital she needs to go to hospital and my dad's like she's not going to hospital because that in, in and of itself is like so stressful because yeah. there would be no one else at home yeah they've just because my at this point there's a six a four and a six year age difference between me and my siblings right so my brother must have been 13 and my sister would have been or actually he would have been 12 at that time because it would have been his birthday yeah mm. um my sister would have been like te- like 10 or 11 yeah and he was like I can't leave them at home like I can't take her to the hospital like mm. what about when she needs picking up all of these things and it's hard now because I obviously struggle still struggle with it where I kind of do have a bit of resentment towards him why he would, wasn't just like the parent who just was like yeah like yeah yeah let's, let's, let's take action yeah. and be proactive here and sort of take ownership over the situation when your child is in extreme distress mm-hmm. um do you think there might there is maybe an element of um because i know i think i think there was a lot this for me that the um the taking to the action taking to hospital the like step towards doing that yeah. was the admitting that something is terribly yeah. wrong and um and knowing that the situation is very very yeah. real and maybe it was his he just couldn't take it yeah and I forgot we must have been there for like half an hour and my ex-boyfriend his mum was still there um in my living room and I just went uh uh I don't feel very well like I've I've taken this much and I think also when someone is like in child and adolescent services, a lot of the time when someone says, I've harmed myself, yeah. they need proof of it. Because yeah. and if an ambulance is going to come, they need proof of that. Yeah. Um, so I like showed them and the packets were indeed empty. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's not funny, I don't know why I'm laughing. No, 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 but... it's not, I, I do it all the time when I'm talking about I'm like, I, <laughs> this I, is hilarious. Oh my gosh. Uh, let me tell you a funny story. <laughs> it's no, it's it's like it's a way of just coping. Mm. I completely understand. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> the packets, packets being empty and going there it is yeah. and then being and like then being okay like, okay like mm. you know and then I just remember being woken up at like three in the morning feeling very dizzy and very sick yeah. but my instinct always was to lie yeah. <laughs> and say that I was fine yeah 
So even when I was speaking to them, I was like, yeah, I'm okay, like I'm fine. Mm. But obviously I wasn't. And I think if you were like looking at someone's body and, you know, testing them and whatnot, you would be able to see that. And Mm. also in their mental as well. Mm. Because I was not only like so out of it, I was very um, like mentally, physically Mm. as well Yeah, at this point. Yeah. Um, So this was like nearly... This would have been like nine hours after I'd taken the meds. Yeah. Which obviously if you're overdosing is like time is such a big... Like if you want to save someone, it's such yeah, a big Yeah, time thing. is really of the essence. Yeah. yeah. So I remember being taken to hospital and I hated going to hospital. I'd been... I, I've gone to A&E mm. so many fucking times <laughs> for when I've been suicidal. Like yeah. it's, it's genuinely one of the things I hate the most. Yeah. Um... Because I know how the process works. Yeah. yeah. But obviously this time was so different because I'd actually like really done something that yeah. was life or death. Yeah. And that I was going to die. And I think even saying that now, I think there's still a huge part of me that's blocked out the reality of what I did. Yeah, I've, I have the exact same. Like I can't really conceptualise that if I hadn't gone to A&E, I'd be dead. Like yeah. that. that is a very weird yeah it's it's reality. a weird it's a weird thing to accept and it's almost like um it's almost like you can't really feel it it's not it's not it doesn't feel real it mm-hmm. feels like a story that's been yeah. told about somebody else yeah. um because you can't grasp the sort of the reality and the gravitas around mm-hmm. something like that did you struggle with because the the act of going to hospital in that moment one of the main things that i really really struggle with surrounding what happened my experience was that I really struggled with the shame mm. and almost the like humiliation yeah. and embarrassment. Um, and I think that's quite a universal thing when yeah. it comes to suicide attempts. Yep. I also think that's the reality of so when I got to hospital, um, the ambulance staff were quite nice, but when I actually got into that, mm. and obviously it was a case of like this person needs immediate attention, mm. I was treated quite horribly by yeah. Yeah. the nurses mm. on duty. Um and I'm someone who's always, like, for NHS workers, for nurses and doctors, because mm-hmm. my mum was a GP, so I feel very strongly about, like, how hard they work and mm-hmm. the shit that they have to put, put up with on a day-to-day. Mm-hmm. But that I was treated... The, I just remember the woman, like, I, I wasn't really explained what was going... Like, no-one explained to me what was happening. Yeah. And when I, I, I'd existed... At this point, it was probably, like, 5 or 6 a.m., and I'd... I was sitting there, you know, like a, as a 17-year-old, like mm. you're a minor, like I'm a, I'm a minor in hospital by myself. Yeah. I don't have a, any parents with me, anyone with me, like sitting there by myself. I just remember like the, the bright lights, because obviously hospitals are so bright. Yeah. And these people, like just me on a bed and them running around and saying, okay, asking me questions. And then I'm like, what's happening? And they were like, well, you, you've done this to yourself. And I, I have a really big fear of needles. So I was yeah. like, am I going to be injected? Like, what's going to happen? And they were like, well, you shouldn't be asking those questions because you've, you know, you've done this to yourself. Oh, like, you've overdosed. Which is, like, obviously very distressing for a 17-year-old. Oh, my God. And, like, yeah, very difficult and heartbreaking to really, think about, actually. Yeah, really. I'm, like, I feel sort of... There's almost, like, an anger that radiates off of people mm-hmm. um, in a moment uh, when you've done something to yourself <laughs> and they and a lot of people assume it's like attention seeking mm-hmm. or it's not real and then that just increases that shame and embarrassment mm-hmm. and I'm so sorry that you were treated like yeah. that um, but yeah there there is such a stigma surrounding mm-hmm. it, especially if you've like survived. Yeah, they're like, "Oh, clearly you didn't do it big yeah, enough. You didn't try hard. You enough. didn't try hard enough. You're just you're you're just attention seeking." Yeah, um, and then you get treated like absolute shit when you are actually in mm-hmm. such distress. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how long did you stay for? Um, um, I think it was. I was actually going through my memories today. Mm. Um, I think I stayed in for like two days. Right, but but it kind of like two to three days because I got in so early, like the morning of the like either like twenty second or twenty third. Mm. Um, it was just it just felt so long. Yeah, and the, I just remember the nurse being quite hor- horrible to me, mm. and then the doctor came and explained it to me, and obviously he was just like well, you know, you're lucky if you would come in an hour later, we'd have to be pumping your stomach. And obviously I'm just sitting there like, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, 
um, yeah, so we're going to have to put this in and you're going to have to, you know, have a drip and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I was like, oh, so how long does that last for? Mm. And then he was like, like, I forgot what he said. I think he said 24 hours. And I went, so I have to be in here for that long. And it was just so confusing. And obviously yeah. at that point. And you're on your own. Yeah, I'm on my own. And I think that's like, I find that quite heartbreaking because yeah. I've got younger siblings. Yeah. And just the, the the thought of them being by themselves, like in a hospital, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's the way it's treated is very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like my little sister has sickle cell. Mm. So there's been times where she's been in hospital. And obviously there have been times within that where she might be left for a while. Yeah. Obviously she's much younger. But I even think that if she went into hospital now with sickle cell and mm. she's 14, um, my dad or my dad's partner or other people would be there for her. Yeah. And it's not to say that people weren't there for me, but there's this kind of thing like, you've done this to yourself, so yeah. now you've got to face the consequences yeah. of your Yeah, take responsibility actions. for your actions. Yeah. It's crazy how much I relate to this and how mm. much I can feel exactly um, what that was. And it's so difficult to put into words because I think unless you've actually experienced it, mm -hmm. it's very, very difficult mm -hmm. to to understand it. The feeling of shame um, and then the anxiety mm -hmm. that surrounds that and then the coming out of hospital and returning mm -hmm. and what it's going to be like mm -hmm. and what reaction you're going to have from people it's just it's it's so funny yeah mm -hmm. I only told people after I came out of hospital yeah which even like looking back was just so weird I just I think it's weird because when you're 17 or eight like 18 mm -hmm. think like now being 20 I think like 17 to 19 is such a weird age. <laughs> One day you're a child and then the next second you're an adult. Yeah. And then there's so much responsibility that you don't really understand. And then you also feel really mature. And then now I'm 20, I'm like, oh my God, I was such a baby. Mm. Um, and even the way that I was talking about it, and it's some, to some extent, even the way I'm talking about it now, mm. it's just like so detached. Like I don't really understand the severity yeah. of it. Yeah. Because it's just, like you said before, it's kind of like a story that you tell. Yeah, it's And it doesn't story. feel, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like a story about you. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're telling a story about somebody else. Um, I think, I do think it's a sort of self-preservation thing and also the kind of being detached from it. I think it's the reason why we can almost like treat it with a little bit of humour mm -hmm. and a lightness of touch. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if you, if we sort of treated it so seriously... Mm -hmm it would just be like reliving it over and over and over mm -hmm. again. And so you kind of have to have this lightness of touch. I felt for a really long time, because I didn't tell anybody mm -hmm. that it had happened when when I did it. And I think the only the only time I actually really admitted it was in the first episode of podcast when I when I said it. But there was quite a long time when I was going, did I try and do it? Mm -hmm. Was I? Did I try and kill myself? Mm -hmm. Because I couldn't, it was like going, was that real? Yeah, was that me? Was that me? And I was like, no, no, I, I definitely mm -hmm. did. Um, but it feels so separate. Mm -hmm. It feels, because the, it's like going, try and imagine how big the universe is. You mm -hmm. just can't. And going, imagine that you're not existing. You're not here. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's so difficult to connect mm -hmm. to. I think there is a big thing surrounding suicide and the idea of taking your own life mm. and I don't know if you felt this as well but I genuinely genuinely and people go it's so selfish you know um and you know attention seeking yeah. etc etc I genuinely genuinely believed that people would be better off oh, if I wasn't there a hundred percent yeah it's and, something I grappled with for ages and mm. and like was a reality in my mind mm. and even sometimes like on my notes app I've got like hundreds of notes and sometimes I'll just scroll and see what I was saying in like was it 2017 2018 2019 some of the stuff is heartbreaking like the the belief that like yeah that the and also it's weird because the people that I was talking about are no longer in my life and that's fine because that's part of growing up yeah I'm part of existing as a human anyway but it's such a it's just, it's a belief. And I've had it with, like, friends as well. I think yeah. it's hard. I've had it with friends as well. They say stuff like that to me if they're feeling suicidal. Mm. And I'm just like, that's so ridiculous. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard because I feel like I'm allowed to say that because I've been there. Yeah. But then also in their mind, if they haven't seen you, like, I've got 
a lot of like my closest friends now are quite new friends. Yeah. So they, I didn't know them when I was in school. That's the same with me. So actually. yeah, they don't see the part of me that was like every single day I'd wake up and list you know a hundred reasons why the world yeah. would be better off without me yeah even though I only exist within a small pocket of society but yeah. even then I'd be like this tiny section that I exist in yeah. especially I think with like my personal situation with like my family and like mm. my dad and having younger siblings mm. I saw the and I have it now like I deal with the like every day the guilt and the shame mm. and the distress that I put my younger siblings through mm. and my dad too but if I was just if I just died, mm. that would just be better for them. It would just be cleaner. Yeah. It's, it's like the clean thing rather than the like the lasting lasting damage. But um it is so sad. And it's the thing of going, you know, you can you can give advice to other people mm. and see them for who they are and love them for who they are, but you can never take your own advice. You can mm-hmm. never look at yourself in that way. Yeah. And so when people have been like, I'm feeling I'm feeling really bad, I feel, you know, and expressed and it's like and you're right, you mm. go, That's ridiculous, you're yeah. amazing. Yeah. I see all these beautiful qualities about mm-hmm. you, but you cannot apply that to yourself. Yeah. Um and I had it when, you know, my um my best mate would say things, you know, would always be like he would always say there would be a big hole in my life if you weren't here. There'd be a huge mm-hmm. hole. And for ages, I was like, why are you lying? Yeah. Why are you lying to me? Yeah. And everyone who said, we love you, we need you here. I was like, why, why is there's a conspiracy yeah. here? They're lying. Like everyone's lying. Everyone's like trying to yeah. do it for, like, it doesn't even, because it's not logical. That's not the thing. Logical, you can't yeah. logically say, everyone's lying because of X, Y, and Z. But yeah. in your mind, yeah. you're like... It makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking that too. Anytime that anyone say that they'd love, they love me or yeah. that I was valuable yeah. um, or important. And I had a similar experience like the end of last year. Mm. I was going through a lot of shit. And um, I got to that really dark place again. Mm. And even then, mm. even with like the years of experience that I have mm. with like trying to regulate myself and trying to be honest with how I'm feeling and articulating it and blah 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 there was still that element of like everyone will be better off if yeah. I'm not here yeah it's it's the thing of removing yourself from the situation I think I can't speak for both of us but I I judge myself very very harshly oh same. yeah yeah I think that's a kind of <laughs> if you've been in that place like and so making even um small, we also and have ever, the exact same mental disorder so yeah do you think the exact same? yes roll on that head case um like it's the everyone makes mistakes mm-hmm. everyone makes huge mistakes everyone fucks up in their own way when i make a mistake it is like catastrophic mm-hmm. my mistake is worse than everyone mm-hmm. else's mistake so if i fuck up a little bit mm-hmm. it's apocalypse i need to literally like punish myself yeah. for what i've done yeah and i had I had fucked up. Mm-hmm. I had fucked up. I'd made mistakes. I was also incredibly unwell yeah. um, and didn't know it and mm-hmm. wasn't being treated. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying very hard to forgive myself mm-hmm. for that because I was so unwell. But because I had fucked up in my head so catastrophically, I was like, I deserve to die. Mm-hmm. I, de- I don't deserve to live. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny that you sort of put things into perspective. What I did, yeah, it was it was a little shitty. Mm-hmm. It was a little shitty. And I hurt, I hurt some people, not intentionally. I deserve to die. And yet there are people out there who are, like who are killing, and... murdering children yeah. who are like, Ugh, just, just a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's extraordinary how, mm-hmm. how harshly we can judge ourselves and not see the good qualities and not see the mm-hmm. things that you give back and not in any way cherish yourself and just think that you deserve to die. Mm-hmm. It's fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. 
it's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But you said from that experience, in the months after, how did you, how has that informed you and how has it made you into the person that you are today? Oh, that's really hard. I think... It's such a tough question. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm still like, whilst I don't obviously don't think about that experience or time mm. or mental state a lot, it definitely affects the way that I navigate life yeah. because I always really struggle at this time of the year. Like most people, because it must be the, like the anniversary. Yeah, yeah. But also just I don't know combination of just like seasonal depression, all this other shit that comes along. Yeah. But I think because. I got to a point where I literally didn't feel anything. Yeah. And that was so scary. And I can't really remember that time in my life. Like, afterwards as well. Like, that wasn't even, like, the worst bit. Yeah. I got even more unwell. I developed, like, hallucinations and psychosis. And it yeah. just got worse and worse and worse and yeah. worse. Until it, I, like, eventually then got treated. And yeah. then there's a whole other thing of, like because I was 17 going on 18 and I had an early birthday then like oh it was that period of time yeah like 20 and then the pandemic oh my gosh I've got oh my god what a clusterfuck I know I know I was very very unwell yeah and and it and it was really hard and I think everyone's kind of forgotten the pandemic because it was just like traumatic collectively traumatic yeah yeah but I think having a suicide attempt at the end of 2019 Mm. and then being locked down and needing support and things and all of these systems and mm, services mm, and mm. people not being readily available was really fucking hard yeah that must have been especially as a young person yeah um so I think now that I'm older I mean I'm not old I'm only 20 I've just turned 20 I'm just trying to tell myself that like any time that I get an inkling of like I'm sitting in bed or I'm just like in a lecture or something and mm. I'm just dissociating and I feel nothing Mm. that is an indication that I'm not well right whilst I'm not necessarily feeling suicidal Mm. there's something in my brain that's switching off yeah and there's something that's not right yeah and I need to start taking that seriously it's like a it's an acknowledgement of Mm. what is going on and being able to but being able to acknowledge it as a part of you that is not very well Mm -hmm. is really really great because Mm -hmm. We can acknowledge the fact that we are not our feelings, that we're being informed by something that is quite poisonous mm-hmm. and is... I mean, it's a, like illness. It, it's an illness. It's, so what exactly, what, what do you have? So I've I've got uh, CPTSD. Woo! High five. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is kind of... I, sometimes I feel a bit embarrassed because I'm, I'm young. Yeah. And I've had that diagnosis for a couple of years now. Yeah. So it's been like been very ill basically the majority of my life which yeah. is really sad yeah yeah so, so have I it's, and it's yeah. like it's it's really heartbreaking the reason why it's called complex mm. post-traumatic stress disorder is that the complexity is the the main thing yeah yeah for a very long time I thought I had BPD and I knew I had yeah I knew I had a disorder mm. but I wasn't sure what one mm. I knew it was just more than and I think sometimes there's a kind of taboo around saying more than just anxiety or depression Mm. not to say that those things aren't deadly or detrimental yeah yeah. but I think when there have been periods of my life where my anxiety disorder or like parts of my anxiety were debilitating Mm. it was one thing with CPTSD there are about a thousand different things going on yeah and even if you're treating one aspect there are other aspects which are exactly happening at the same time I often describe it like um, when people ask what it's like I say it's like spinning plates mm. because you're focused on one thing and then you have yeah. you're going oh shit there's that other thing mm-hmm. that I need that and am I being formed by that part of me mm-hmm. and it feels so tangled mm-hmm. it feels like just this ball of shit mm-hmm. that you're trying to just navigate mm-hmm. and it's really really hard it's really really hard and sometimes you don't know if you're being informed by the cptsd or if you're being informed by what's actually going yeah. on it's yeah it's it's really really difficult that's why it's got complex in the mm-hmm. name i think that's what makes it so clear-cut from other mental illnesses or yeah. disorders is because there aren't necessarily a specific set of sim- symptoms yeah. and also a lot of our symptoms affect 
not just affect our literally the way that we navigate the world so yeah. like one like one part of my cptsd which is like so prominent mm. is my hypervigilance yeah like I'm aware all the time yeah, and I fit. can't switch off like yeah. even if I appear like I'm you know fine or not I'm constantly overstimulated there's so much going on I'm yeah. constantly aware I never I never relax yeah even in situations where I think I'm relaxed I'm not relaxed and I've had it where even just small things where mm. um I remember I had like I don't know if you ever have this but like like an ache in your hand yeah and I would just be like what's going on I remember being around friends a couple of weeks ago and I had this horrible ache in my hands and it just wouldn't go away mm-hmm. in in my palm and one of my friends was giving me a massage and she was like this whole time whilst I'm giving you this massage your hands are still so tense and I was like really like to me this is like this is me relaxed relax I am like, this is me relaxed and I remember the first time yeah I got ever got my nails done mm. I went to the the, my local nail shop and I obviously gave the woman my hand yeah. and she was like relax and I was like I am relaxed <laughs> and now you're saying that I'm not relaxed I'm right I'm, and now it's getting worse yeah exactly <laughs> and I just I didn't understand I was like and she was just like you're not relaxing and I just didn't understand it but it's because I'm on edge all the time it's the amygdala just going like it's always yeah. on going fight flight freeze mm-hmm what is mm-hmm. what's on what's on attack right now and that hypervigilance is exhausting it's so exhausting i get yeah. tired from doing like i was saying the other day on my stories i get tired from sending one email like, oh my gosh yeah and because it takes so much out of me yeah because there is so much going on constantly even yeah. my sleep is so bad i don't relax in my sleep yeah i have really like intense dreams yeah um i'm always very aware with what's happening around me when I'm sleeping or about yeah. to sleep. We can never have a sleepover. It'd be an absolute no. nightmare. <laughs> Literally, both of us would be like wandering around screaming, yeah. waking up, Honestly, bumping into it. <laughs> like, it's so, I, that's the thing. Even in my sleep, I move around a lot. Like, my friends are always like, Max, you never stay still in your sleep. And I'm yeah. just like, I can't help it because my brain is just going a thousand miles per hour, like yeah. an hour. Like, yeah. it, it just doesn't, it doesn't stop. And I think that's the complexity. I can't mm. just stop. It is just, it essentially is who I am. Yeah. And that will hopefully one day Mm. get better. And also what's causing, like like you said, the amygdala to just be constantly going off Mm. isn't of itself is so complex because there isn't just one thing. Yeah. There's multiple, multiple things. It's so, I I mean, I'm really glad we're having this conversation because I haven't actually talked a lot about exactly how CPTSD feels. Mm. And so this is really brilliant to have this on and to have your experience as well because I haven't actually chatted much to anybody else who suffers from it, mm. um, who understands just how exhausting mm-hmm. it is and how stressful and even things, and you can just apply it to everything and anything. Sometimes when someone sends me a voice note, I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, and don't listen yeah. to it for like four days yeah. because I'm like, I can't, I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. This is too, this is too stressful and exhausting for me. And they're probably just being like, I like your cat. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> God sometimes it switches on. on. Like Sometimes I'm yeah. having really like fun conversations with my friends and we send back and forth videos or voice notes and then all of a sudden I'm like this is too overwhelming yeah yeah and yeah. then I ghost them for like even one of my housemates like she sent me some voice notes on Sunday we're having like a really back and forth conversation mm. and then I haven't opened them so yeah, I'm gonna yeah, see yeah. her later today because she went home she she was coming back mm. today and I'm gonna see her and just be like sorry I haven't and it just feels so silly because it's like yeah, why yeah, yeah. is this such a big thing in my brain yeah no but I have I have the exact same and it's similar with with BPD and a lot of people who have CPTSD get di- misdiagnosed with mm-hmm. BPD so I, I technically have the same I think it's something to look at in future mm-hmm. um but you download all the information download everything hypervigilant blah blah blah, mm-hmm. blah and then your brain just can't process all of it at once mm-hmm. and so it's just like just being hyper hyper aware hyper alert all the time oh my god it's like, but I think with time, with therapy, with understanding, with an awareness, it does get easier. Mm. It's just, um, I mean, when I when I was in rehab and they were discussing VPD and CPTSD and they said mm. it's also it's often very intelligent people, which I yes. love. I'm like, yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, you're gonna love this. So I had a. <laughs> This is like actually very sad and very tragic. But I had a psych- psychiatry <laughs> appointment in December and the psychiatrist was horrible. He was some like old like man, some old white guy. And what? he just wasn't nice at all. Yeah. But he said to me and it stuck with me and it actually was something that triggered me really badly. Mm. But there was a lot of truth in it. He said, you know, you are incredibly intelligent, incredibly articulate, but you have the emotional um, like 
a mental state of a little girl. Yeah. That was like such a triggering thing to hear. Yeah. And I went off, like not on him, but I just went, I honestly became so unwell. Yeah. And I remember speaking to one of my mum's best friends about it and what he, what he said and I was crying. She was like, Maxine, is there a possibility that you're so upset about it because it's true? Yeah. Because there is truth in it. And she was like, obviously him calling you a little girl, or describing you in that way is patronising and is not mm. a nice thing to say. Mm. But there obviously is truth in that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. When you are so aware of the world constantly, mm. you're taking so much information all the time. Mm. You become so empathetic, so like... Yeah. For a lot of people, it's like, wow, this person's incredible. So because, compassionate, so mm, like um, forgiving, yeah. so so aware. So aware. Mm. But then what comes with that is, is yeah, a form of self-preservation, a way to protect yourself. Because mm. ultimately, you're taking in this information, but a lot of the time, not really feeling anything. Yeah. Like I had a um, an NHS appointment yesterday, and I said to I said to the therapist, I was like, I just having this this session like this this assessment mm. i'm gonna i'm i'm overwhelmed and i i am going to dissociate for the rest of the day i can yeah. feel myself when she was talking to me i could just feel myself going in and out yeah and i just said to her like i'm not going to be able to go to uni because even if i go to uni i'm just going to be out of it and yeah. for me that's just like a, a waste of time yeah and another way to drain me yeah because i don't want to feel what we're talking about even if it's like very simple, mm. it's too much. Yeah, yeah. That's my therapist always says that I intellectualize everything, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know why. It's, it's like a, I think it's a sort of um, like we said, self-preservation yeah. thing that you're trying to understand it, and so mm-hmm. therefore you intellectualize everything rather than just like feel it. Yeah, rather than feel it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> Literally it. feel it. We're so similar. <laughs> <laughs> like I always um, when I had my full full blown breakdown suicide attempt. Um, there was someone who was shouting at me going, you're a child, mm-hmm. you're a child. And it hurt so much. Um, this thing of you're operating like a child, mm-hmm. you're, you're being a child. Mm-hmm. And, and and I was so humiliated and so shamed. And But you're right, because I was emotionally mm-hmm. acting like a child. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it comes from when you have CPTSD and especially and PTSD, and if it's come from childhood, yeah. you revert right back to mm. that emotional state yeah um if a, most people on the scale of emotional maturity say we start at five and mm-hmm. there's a graph they go on a steady incline whereas if you suffer extreme trauma as a child you flatline mm-hmm. for a bit and then you might go up and then flatline so when you're triggered you do return to being a child and it's not it's not your fault yeah it's it's part of this fucking illness it's just that so many people don't understand so they go like you're fucking crazy and i also think there's the element of if people are so used to you being someone who displays emotional maturity or is so intellectual or so and so kind yeah yeah and so aware Mm. when you are having an episode or a breakdown Mm. and you are acting like a toddler Mm. or Maybe a toddler is a stretch, but if you were acting like a five or six year old, yeah, that's where I revert me, to. Yeah, that's yeah. that's like the same with me. Mm. I revert to I think the age of like five or six. Mm. People, it's confusing for the people around you. Yeah, because they're like grow up. It's very jarring because they know you as this very intelligent, mm-hmm. very articulate, aware person, and they're like, "Who the fuck is this?" I know mm. that you can be this person, yeah. so stop it. Yeah, and you're like, and you, you can't. I remember I had it the other day when. I was in a really triggering situation mm-hmm. and I literally, like a child, I put my hands over yeah, my ears. Yeah, I do that and I rock back and forth. Yeah, yes. Oh my God. Or like a girl. <laughs> or a girl under, like, under the blanket. Like, yeah. yeah, and stop and just like hide and cover my ears mm-hmm. and it's because we're reverting back mm-hmm. to being children. Oh my gosh, we're so, we're so I don't know, I want to cry because it's like so sad. I know, it's, it's so just like, sad. It's so heartbreaking because there's an element of like somewhere in our brains but also like part of our lives and our memories and stuff that... Mm understands that children when they behave in a certain way get that attention but if you were a child and you didn't get that attention yes then you grow up thinking every time that you have like you have a meltdown Mm. you can't there isn't you just think this is what I have to do because when I was x age everyone around me did this and they got you know like attention or their love or their care or blah 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 um and that can be really, really hard. Yeah, that's exactly it. When um when I was in rehab, someone 
confronted me and I was really hurt by it at the time, but actually it was really bang on that they said, you know, we you don't need to show us your pain. Mm-hmm. You we don't you don't need to go to that level. Yeah. And then we're going, we don't think it's like you're pretending or it's inauthentic. It's just like we can see that you're in pain. And it's because as a child, you go like being locked based and having to scream and scream and scream mm-hmm. for help. And that's where you go to mm-hmm. rather than just going, I need help. Mm-hmm. As an adult, you you operate emotionally as a child. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck it. Actually, I want to cry. It's it's, it's so like, But I sad. actually can't cry because I, I can't feel things. So like the tears <laughs> are there, but I'm just like, mm, this is sad. Come on. I will process this later though. <laughs> Come on, I want that single tear. Like, I'm fucking um, so at this point, what I want to ask you, and this is often a really difficult question, mm-hmm. but what is it about you that you really love and you cherish? And you're or, or something that you are proud of. I know oh. your face. Hakeem's face right now is like, like oh, I literally don't know. It. Uh, I think it's hard because I always go to like what I can do for other people, yeah, which of always feeds back into like mm. wanting people to see me mm-hmm. or that validation. Like I was gonna say, like my ability to care for people. Yeah, but I think that's still like of service. Yeah, to others. yeah. I'm. I. I actually don't know. <laughs> um. I mean, it helps out. I think I think you're unbelievably strong. I think you have you. such a powerful voice. Um, and I think you're making huge waves um, for someone your age. is, And I think that's astounding. So these are the things mm. I look up about you. Also, you're just unbelievably beautiful. So we're just throwing that Thank out you. there. <laughs> just, oh, my God, stop. Because everything you said, like, my instinct in my head is just to be like, no, 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 lying. Yeah, no, literally. Especially the last thing about being beautiful. Like, yeah. I have this huge thing about and something I really struggle with is being ugly oh yeah I have it too and and I have this thing where I strive for beauty Mm. and I strive for but it comes into striving for perfection yeah so I want to be seen as beautiful yeah even though I don't feel beautiful and it's just this and I I struggle with it all the time like in the last couple weeks like I have been crying a lot over like even last night I was really upset and crying about just the way I looked and why I can't be beautiful yeah like the other people that I think are beautiful I like that I but even the then exact, I don't want to be like that I have the exact same thing one thing that I often think about in moments like that because I have the same thing I want people to think I'm beautiful even though I do not think I'm beautiful mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm like a wreck most mm-hmm. of the time but one thing I, I find helps is the presence of someone else's beauty is mm-hmm. not the absence of your own yeah and while some there are maybe two people you look at someone and think they're unbelievably stunning mm-hmm. and i know we're talking aesthetically and it's you, you know this shouldn't be what's important but it is still it's, it's still, really I think and, we and for women it, it, it is important course, it's so it is and it's and it's and it does really affect your life but if one person can look at the person that you think is really beautiful and then look at you and in their mind you could be more beautiful than, mm. than this person it's just it's so um, subjective, mm-hmm. subjective, yeah, subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, just depending on on what it is and the acceptance of who you are and your own individual beauty, I think is so powerful. But I can just objectively say that I mm-hmm. think I think you're absolutely stunning. Thank you. Um, I love it. Also, it's like the thing of going. Yeah, it's yeah. so difficult. Yeah. Anytime like, you're thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Like, stop. <laughs> I'm like moving swiftly. Like. <laughs> but no, now I'm going to ask you a question so you don't yeah. have to give me any more confidence. Um, <laughs> I'd probably say that, like, sounds so... This is not stupid, but it kind of sounds like capitalist girl bossy. But, like, no, just it. my ability to be creative and, like, innovative, Yeah, I quite... I take pride in. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's always been an escapism for me yeah. as a child. And also, I've grown up where I'm just, like, there is so much in the world, and I'm taking in all this information. How can I use that mm. to either express myself or express anything or yeah. do anything? Yeah. And... I feel quite, I, I, sometimes I, I, I rarely feel cool. And I think this, the concept of coolness is in, a, in and of itself is so subjective and mm. also silly because everyone is cool and no one is cool at the same time. Mm, mm. But also just like the fact I'm really creative and I can knit and I can crochet and I can do pottery. And I oh can my God, paint, we're so similar. That's exactly like, what I do. I can like sew and I can do all of these things. Yeah. And, and I just feel like. I think that's really, really cool. It's fucking cool. It's fucking cool. Someone came around the other day and saw my knitting and was like, that's fucking cool. And mm. I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, like, <laughs> just, awesome. just did it. You want a bonnet? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. No trouble.
So at this point, we're going to read some survivor stories which have been sent in. If you would like to send your survivor story, please get in touch. Send it to contact at whydoyouthink.com or via Instagram direct message. You can send them to me. Just put survivor story either in the subject line or at the top. And so here we go. Hey, I never usually message, but your podcast made me want to share my story as it has inspired me to speak up about mental health more although I have always been an advocate it is part of the reason I became a social worker I have depression and high functioning anxiety Mm -hmm. and I have self-diagnosed PTSD traits particularly under stress your Harry Potter podcast (laughs) resonated so much with me as I am textbook people pleaser as a result of my trauma so much so I went into a job to help other people because I felt I owed the world yeah my trauma started when I was five as my difficult relationship with my dad began when him and my mum separated. There are lots of ins and outs, but some significant points were he ripped up a letter in front of my face, which I had written at nine, ten years old, explaining my feelings about why I was sad not Mm. seeing him so much. This sort of stuff continued where he would not turn up to see us, and often when he did, he would talk badly about my mum. He made me feel worthless, but typically I still craved that relationship and his approval. He then had other kids and a new family. I also had a sister that passed away when I was 10 and she was one years old. She was ill her entire life, but some of the memories, such as rushing her to hospital, learning how to phone an ambulance and what to say in case you needed it, and then saying goodbye to someone you love at that age, changed my life drastically. I can relate. (laughs) And there is nothing worse than seeing your baby sister so ill and eventually pass away. Around a year later, my stepdad was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Fortunately, he survived. But then another few years later, when I was 15, my mum had a significant stroke and we nearly lost her. Wow. I had to go into hospital to say goodbye to her as we didn't think she would make it through the night, just like I'd done with my sister. This is where my PTSD traits kick in. Mm -hmm. I didn't cry when saying goodbye to my mum in the hospital because I thought I needed to be strong as my stepdad and siblings had it worse, losing their wife and mum. Gosh, that is really tough. Yeah. My issues with my dad have continued despite long periods of not speaking to him. Despite everything else that's happened, it has always been the thing I found hardest to process. But here I am in my 20s, a social worker, mental health sufferer, but survivor. Yes. I've suffered depression, suicidal thoughts and anxiety, but I am still here and I would say going strongish. You're definitely really definitely strong. going strong. <laughs> I wanted to write in because I find it hard when people say I'm so strong, etc. Because I don't feel it. I've had no other option but to cope for the people around me. Mm-hmm. But I'm surviving, coping, and I want people to know that mental health has no look or type. I 100% agree. 1,000%, yeah. And we are all just muddling through life in our own way. Thanks for sharing your experiences through your podcast. It's so nice to hear real stories and not feel alone when sometimes that's what your mind makes you feel. Yeah. You have no idea how many people this will help. Oh, oh my God. Um, 1,000% a survivor, incredible survivor. What an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Keep going, please. That's... I am proud of you. Yeah, we are. Maxine and I are so proud of you. <laughs> Okay, so we have another one. Hello, Emily. I've been putting off doing this since I saw you ask for them because you know what it's like. All those thoughts come creeping in. Why would anyone want to hear from me? My story isn't important. You'll probably be a rubbish at writing it anyway and so on. Fully understand that. I did a lot of the same. Firstly, I want to say thank you for your podcast. I've enjoyed listening to all of them and your first season was brilliant. Thank you. I just found myself listening and nodding and thinking, God, someone else understands my brain. So as you call it, I hit rock bottom in March 2021. After a couple of years of constant shit that felt like it would never end, from losing my stepfather to pancreatic cancer, suddenly to losing my husband of 13 years to another woman three days before Christmas. Holy fucking shit. Along with numerous other things, for example, losing my best friend, my dog, after 13 years, being homeless and not forgetting the amazing shitstorm of COVID. March 2021, I gave up. I reached the bottom of the biggest, blackest, dark hole and there was no light to be seen. I tried to end my life and as far as I was concerned, I wasn't coming back from it. April 2021, I wake up in intensive care. After having a few days of seeing cows in the room opposite me, being operated on dancing leprechauns and also some horrendous and horrific hallucinations, yep, I realised this wasn't heaven or hell. 
I'd managed to fall off my bed after taking a massive overdose list with booze and cut the circulation off to my legs completely and utterly screwing them up, along with killing my kidneys and was on dialysis. I had two operations on my legs before I'd even woken up. I ended up spending over three months in hospital. I had to learn to walk again, and that was after getting sepsis and that not killing me off either. Oh my God. Apparently I wasn't meant to go. I really had given up. I saw no point and just felt everyone was better off if I wasn't there. It's only when you reach rock bottom that you start to claw yourself back up into the light though, and I do hope I never quite get so far into that black hole ever again. It took me a while, but I began fighting again. I focused on the physical side of things first because for me that was easier. I'm not someone that fails and not someone that can be told you cannot do this. I took my first steps two weeks before leaving the hospital and then continued getting stronger and stronger and stronger in three weeks. On Wednesday, I am off to Patagonia on an epic trip of of trekking, cycling and kayaking from one glacier to another. Oh my gosh, I want to cry. Even though I'm still in physio and still suffer with pain, I keep on fighting. Mentally is another story. I am getting there, albeit slowly, but forward is forward, right? Absolutely. I try to tell myself with every step backwards that I will take at least two forward. It doesn't always work, but I try. But I'm in therapy and finally found some happy pills that actually work for me. I love that. Baby steps that are going in the right direction. I now tell myself when I'm feeling low and struggling to wait, then struggling to wait three days, then in three days, I will look at what's happened. Almost always, I can pick one thing that has made me smile, whether it be a beautiful sunrise, my animals being cute, a friend telling me they love me, smelling fresh rain. It can literally be anything. I then tell myself if I wasn't here, then I wouldn't have experienced that. I look back and think to myself regularly, look at everything you would have missed if March had worked. It's not easy. I cannot lie to people and say it's all great. It's all wonderful. But when is anything really worth it? Easy. It's true. I am a survivor and I'm proud of that. I try not to let my mental health issues, BPD, PTSD, CPTSD, insomnia, anxiety, clinical depression, the wonderful labels I've been so blessed to be given, (laughs) be who I am. I just, I try to say I am just me. They do not define who I am. They're just part of me and what has made me the person I am today. I also try to live in the present as much as possible because people say you only live once. But actually, that's not true. You only die once. So live every day. Oh, my gosh. The future does not exist yet. The past is exactly that. So live right now, even if that now is sometimes a minute at a time. Mental health is definitely much more accepted now, but my issue is still that it isn't understood. It's people like you, Emily, sorry, getting your story out and speaking the truth that helps other people understand. And I hope to be able to do it too one day. Thank you so much for taking the time to read my story. I'm a survivor and continue to survive because of those little moments that add up to the big moments. And life could be really beautiful. So I know I'm crying. Both Maxie's and I are crying. Um, that's amazing. Congratulations, you're a survivor. Oh my God, that trekking. I'm so glad you're going trekking. Oh my God. Fuck me, I love the listeners we have are just amazing, really. Thank you so much for sending that in. Oh my gosh, more please. Let <laughs> <laughs> <Literally> you cry. <laughs> I think that you're really, I mean, you, to me, you, you are fearless. And I think wow. that being fearless is the greatest compliment I can give anybody. Wow. Um, and I think it's, it's so brilliant and you're doing an amazing job. And I think you are so inspiring and a really incredible young voice to have out there. Um, and I'm very, very privileged to have you in my life. Thank and you. to have you here. So thank you so, so much for coming. Maxie came all the way from Nottingham for this. To come and sit in my little studio. <laughs> she was like, I'll come if I can meet the cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she did. But thank you so much. I, mean, I really, this has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course, anytime. Join me next week when my guest is actor and musician and all-round brilliant human being, Robert Lonsdale. Please, please send your survivor stories either to contact at whydoyouthink.com or via direct message on Instagram. Just put survivor story either at the top or in the subject line of the email. We'd love to hear from you. Big, small, recent, long ago, questions, anecdotes, whatever you've got, we're here for all of it. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and I'll talk to you soon.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.